This song was undoubtedly the greatest dance anthem of 1991 that cemented Rosella as the queen of rave and has gone on to be considered one of the best dance tracks of all time, topping charts around the world while spreading its message of positivity. I'm Genevieve and it's my absolute pleasure to have the lady herself join me to talk about her life after that thing she did with this song. So please welcome Rosella. Rosella, the queen of rave. Your Majesty, how are you? (laughs) That's lovely. I'm very well, thank you. Before we get going, I spotted that a couple of weeks ago you were in South Africa for a show. And while you were there, you met some lions at a safari park. That looked amazing. Oh, Genevieve, that was just incredible. I did not expect that. Um, I'm so grateful to the South African promoters because... We did the first show in Cape Town on the 7th of January. And then we had five days break in between before the next show, which was in Pretoria, which is like 40 minutes out of Johannesburg. And so we had a bit of a holiday in between. It's always nice. (laughs) Oh, just give me that gig any day. And so uh, we spent a couple of days in Cape Town, which was stunning. And then we spent the rest of the time in Pretoria. And my husband said to me, let's go to a safari. And I'm like, really? (laughs) Anyway, we're like, yeah, okay, well, what are we doing? Let's just go. We can stay at the hotel and by the pool and do the usual browsing in shops and you can do that anyway. So we went on safari and oh my gosh, it was stunning. And we were told we were really lucky because on some occasions the animals don't want to come out. Yeah. You don't see them. So you just see the trees and spot one lion from over there at a distance, you know, but they came out to say hi, and it was incredible. I mean, they were actually trying to get into your van. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it was just surreal. I couldn't believe it. I mean, lions are just magnificent creatures, and you just have to remember that they kill us. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm a crazy cat lady, and there's nothing more that I like than to smush their faces all day and have cuddles. Exactly. Although I imagine with a lion that might not go down too well. But no, I don't think good idea to smush them. I bet they'd be really soft and furry, though. Oh. But yeah, I'd love to have a big cat encounter one day. It's on the to-do list. It was beautiful, and we saw a black panther. I've never seen a black panther in my life. And you know when you see movies or things where a black panther sort of walking really slowly... And like, you know, it's going to pounce on you. Stalking. Stalking, but with these green gleaming eyes. But what a magnificent creature. Just stunning. So it was beautiful. Okay, let's get down to business and enter the nostalgia zone. you really burst onto the music scene in 1991 when the anthem that is Everybody's Free was released. But before that, you'd had a successful career in Zimbabwe where you fronted a few bands before going solo and had, I think, five number one hits. And then not content with conquering Zimbabwe, you set about world domination and so came to England in 1988 in search of a record deal. And I don't know if this is true or not. You can confirm or deny. Most people come to London, but you went to Wolverhampton. True. (laughs) Very, very true. That's a bit unusual. I mean, I didn't know, you know, but now when I, that I do know, (laughs) well, (laughs) but you know, I was treated well and uh, his name was Chris Sargent. He helped me give me my first break of coming to the UK. He owned a recording studio in Wolverhampton And uh, he kindly invited me over and my record label in Zimbabwe believed in me so much that they bought me my first three air tickets to come to the UK Mm. to try out my luck. And I'm so grateful to that. So Wolverhampton will always hold a place uh, in my heart (laughs) in a a positive way. (laughs) Don't laugh. (laughs) And, you know, I, that's where, that's where I started. And uh, so whenever I went to Wolverhampton, I think about a year ago or 18 months ago to do a show. And just like going home, <laughs> just like going home, darling, just like going home. But you know, it was surreal. And this is where I came to the UK for the first time and started recording my material there. So yeah, Wolverhampton. <laughs> 
Your journey to success in the UK was a little bit of a long road. You spent a good couple of years sending cassettes off to record companies. That must have been a bit strange after all your success in Zimbabwe to effectively have to start all over again as an unknown and start at the bottom again. Was there ever a time when you thought you'd cut your losses and go back home to that typing course you were doing? I thought, you know, when I first came to the UK, honestly, Genevieve, I thought my mindset was, if I'm going to start from scratch, this is how it's going to be. So I already had that mindset that I'm coming to a country, uh, I'm a foreigner, I'm going to start from scratch, I'm being given this opportunity, let me just go for it and see what happens. And I think my mindset helped me uh, think, you know, I'm just, I'm coming in from the cold, mm. you know, forget about the success that I had in Zimbabwe or anything of the sort. It's just a totally new, different world for me. But then happily, you did get a deal and you released Born to Love You in 1990, which was big club hit, but not a commercial success. Then Faith in the Power of Love, which interestingly did not make the top 75 the first time around. And then there was just this explosion after Everybody's Free had been a hit in the clubs in Ibiza over the summer. So when everyone came back from holiday, they rushed to buy it. Yay for Ibiza. <laughs> Yay for Ibiza. Oh my gosh. Yay for Ibiza. Absolutely. It was incredible. And then going to perform the song, and I remember I performed in this club uh, in Ibiza where they had, at some stage, they would get out these bubbles, bath bubbles. Like a foam party. I thought, yeah, exactly. It was a foam. And I'm going, look, I'm from Africa. I don't know what all this is. You know, oh my, <laughs> I was just shell-shocked, but so excited as well, you know, but I couldn't believe this is happening. <laughs> it was just surreal. It was incredible. Incredible. The song was like the anthem of 1991. You couldn't go into a club or turn on the radio without hearing it. And I still have it on my Smash Hits 1991 double cassette. Aww. But the thing that I can't believe is that you think it would have been a number one hit. You think it was a number one hit, but amazingly it wasn't. Although yeah. to be fair, that was the summer when Brian Adams was number one forever with everything I do. Right. He just wasn't letting go. No, he wasn't. <laughs> but um, but it was number one in the US club chart and was top 10 across Europe. How yes. crazy was it for you at that time? It was surreal. It was the most just surreal experience of my life. I came from Africa to come and try my luck, prayed, please God, let it make, make it happen, make it happen. And then this song happens and suddenly I'm traveling the world practically to perform Everybody's Free to Feel Good. And uh, it's just been such a journey and it continues to be such a journey for me over 32 years later. I think Everybody's Free turns 33 years old this year. This year. And, you know, yes, in some territories it went to number one, number two. In the American dance chart, chart it was a number one for five weeks. Um, and so was, I think, Ready to Fly in Faith and Power of Love. But it went to, it went top 40 in the Billboard top 40, the commercial charts. But, you know, when you look back and I think everybody's free sold so many thousands or millions of copies. And then you had to sell so many millions of copies to get top 10. Mm. And then a few years later, I heard things like, you know, the music industry has, has changed so much. You could get to number one in some weeks by selling five or 10,000 copies of an, a CD, you know, whereas back in my day, it was still in the hundreds of thousands and millions. Yeah. So go figure. Times have changed. Times have changed. Times have changed. So after a re-release of Faith in the Power of Love, you followed up with another banger, Are You Ready to Fly? in early 1992, both top 15 hits here. And then came the call to support Michael Jackson on the European leg of his Dangerous Tour. I was there at Wembley. Oh, it was one of the wait. greatest concerts I've ever been to. I was 12. Oh. Uh, but I, I have to know, were there any special instructions for Michael? Like when you meet the Queen, you know, like don't make eye contact, only speak when you're spoken to, curtsy and bow. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, he, he was, I didn't have any of that sort of instruction, but I just remember thinking, and I still do think that will remain one of the highlights of my career. You know, I, growing up in Africa, I remember, you know, I'll tell you a little story. Uh, I loved the Jackson Five. Then they became the Jackson because then Michael broke away and became Michael Jackson and released, which I think is one of his best albums off the wall. Literally, that album is the only album you can play at a party and everyone will get up and dance. Exactly. Like music is usually so divisive. Someone will put it on and someone will be like, oh, don't play yeah. it, I hate it. The opening bars of 
don't stop till you get enough, will get everybody up on the floor. Absolutely. That to me will remain his best album. And then we moved to Lusaka. And I remember thinking, I want to call Michael Jackson. As you do. And so my brothers were like, yeah, okay, call him. As you do, as you do. And then I called the operator and I said, I'd like to call Michael Jackson. So he's like, yeah, okay. So he called the operator in America and I heard an American operator going, hello, can I help you? Whatever, you know, we'd like to speak to Michael Jackson. Oh, sorry, we can't put you through. And then, of course, I forgot about it until the phone bill came and my dad just had a few words with me about that. <laughs> I can imagine. How much was that phone call? Either it was, well, he wasn't happy, put it that way. <laughs> but I did that. And so can you imagine then years later being a support act for Michael Jackson and he personally chose me to be his support act because at the time, as you know, everybody's free, Faith and the Power of Love and Are You Ready to Fly were big hits for me across Europe and the UK. And I just signed to Sony and he's like, yeah, I want her on the, to support me. And I remember hearing the news when I was in the offices uh, of Sony in New York and they're like, you better get back right now and stop practicing. I'm like, fine, I'm coming back. <laughs> get, <laughs> and, me uh, get, get me on Concord now. Get me on Concord right now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, got back, started rehearsing and I did 43 dates with him across a period of, I think, three and a half months across Europe. I got to meet him a couple of times. Uh, we took official photographs and he was really so nice. And uh, he asked me, Rosella, you know, when I come into the stadium, because I'd be on doing my 30, 45 minute set. When Criss Cross left, I they increased my set to 45 minutes because they didn't want another support act. So really honored about that. And he's like, I hear the crowd scream for you when I come into the stadium. It's fantastic. I said, well, I just want to thank you, uh, Michael, for the opportunity. And uh, my mom said she loves you. And, you know, so I started babbling and like, I don't know if I was making sense. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going, oh, my family in Africa love you. And, like, you know, and it's like, oh, thank you. Thank you. And I just said, seriously, thank you so much. And we took photographs and I got photographs from him and myself. And uh, the last gig uh, was in Portugal. And I wanted to say bye to him. It was before he went on stage, his security guards, who we all become like a family when you're on such a massive tour like that. It's, it's amazing, but it's hard work. Mm. You know, you're away from home, you're traveling, you're not sleeping in your own bed for three months, six months, or however long the tour is going to go on for. So I said to Michael, thank you so much for having me. And he said, Rosala, you're most welcome. And I said, you've got to kiss me now. And he's like, okay. And then he, he, <laughs> and he sort of gave me a quick kiss on my lips. And then his security guard started laughing. And I went, Michael, Michael, no, that was too quick. You have to do it again. Then he went, uh, okay. Then he gave me another <laughs> quick kiss on my lips. And I went, Michael, you're going too fast. And then he went, looked at his security guards and went, you guys put her up to this. I know you did. And he was killed with laughter. We could not stop laughing. And before you knew it, he went by Rosella and he escaped into his dressing room. He literally <laughs> ran like a little boy that was scared of by this woman asking him to kiss me on the lips. <laughs> and in the meantime, you have never washed your lips since. I've never washed my lips since. Now you've revealed something, Genevieve. I've been keeping the secret to myself. <laughs> but, you know, that was just, uh, just surreal. It was incredible. And as you said earlier, he will remain the best artist that I've ever watched in living memory in my life. When he came on that stage, he owned it. You know, there's nowhere else you wanted to look but at Michael Jackson performing and watching this magic explode before your very eyes. Yeah. Incredible, incredible. Let's talk fashion for a moment. Obviously, it was the early 90s, uh, which <laughs> had its own rules. Yeah, um, right. And it was dance music. So you were rocking a lot of sparkly bikini tops, hot pants. There was like a red rubber or PVC cat suit and, and what looked like almost Princess Leia type hair at one point. Yes. How much yes. say did you have over your image? And was there ever a time where you were like, nah, not wearing that? Or were you just so caught up in everything you just did as you told? <laughs> I think I think then a part of me, I would be honest with you, I was caught up in everything and did more or less what I was told, but I wouldn't wear something that I felt so uncomfortable in because it would show. But I went with the flow and fortunately, again, I just told myself, just be open-minded to some of the ideas. Uh, wearing the bikini top and showing my chest is something I wouldn't even dream of doing now. <laughs> but I was younger then and I, I went with the flow and I loved it. And I remember um, that same bikini top that I wore with the sparkly shorts, 
uh, when I was doing the Michael Jackson tour, I wore this long gold skirt and it had a zip on the side. And one of the dancers sort of would unzip me and reveal these uh, sequin shorts, which matched the bikini top. And I remember waiting to go on stage and I saw the late Gianni Versace mm. staring at me. And I went, oh my God, he is the king of fashion. And he must be thinking, what has this woman <laughs> got on? <laughs> because he was staring at me and I just thought, Maybe that's what he's thinking. Or maybe he's getting ideas for the next season's runway. Or maybe, maybe. <laughs> but I was going the other way and I'm like, well, you, sh- you didn't offer to design me anything, Mr. Versace, so hello. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember, honestly, he was just staring at me and I'm like, oh gosh. But yeah, good stories in my head for me forever. You were no stranger to Top of the Pops, which for non-British listeners is a weekly music programme that ran for decades here and was a British institution. And if you were a musician, you had made it if you were on Top of the Pops and you were on it eight times and performed your songs live, which not everybody did at that time. So I tip my cap to you. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Everyone that's (laughs) been on it has a Top of the Pops story. What are your memories of it? Oh, the first thing that springs to mind was... I was waiting on the corridor to go and do my thing. And who was also waiting on the corridor was Sting. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, Sting. And I'm like, hi, I'm Rosella. And they were really nice. I'm like, do you mind? Can we take pictures? And that time we didn't have iPhones. It was the Kodak cameras or whatever. And he's like, yeah, no problem. Let's take pictures. And I'm taking loads of pictures with him and I. And he was really, really pleasant. And we're just having fun. When I got home, took my camera to have it uh, turned into pictures and there was no spool in the camera. No. That is what happened. I tell you, that is what young happened. people today don't know how easy they have it with iPhones. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so like, oh, I don't have any pictures. But I also had the opportunity of um, meeting Mariah Carey and I got pictures with her and I, this time I made sure I had, you know. <laughs> Check the, <laughs> the film. School. Check the film in the camera. So she was lovely. So I met her and, uh, and also I did Top the Pops once, but Tina Turner was on the same show I was on. I was so desperate to meet her, but she was so heavily, uh, guarded, so guarded, you know, but she, she is Tina Turner to be fair. Yeah, to, <laughs> I, exactly. But the thought of thinking I'm in the same building as Miss Turner, you know, was just surreal. And yeah, there were some really big famous people on the Top of the Pops whenever I performed at them. But yeah, Tina Turner comes to mind. Mariah Carey, I've got pictures with her and myself on that day. Sting was really lovely talking to me. Wasn't any film of the camera, so that's what happened. But <laughs> You need to meet him again and write this wrong. I need Exactly. I need to put this wrong right. Exactly. Put it out there. Manifest it into yeah, the universe. Yeah, it will happen. It. Manifest it. Exactly. But um, yeah, you know, whenever I did Top of the Pops, it was always a surreal experience. We were always taken care of. You know, what, one of the things I loved about it was the canteen. BBC Elstree's Canteen's Finest. Oh, it was. Honestly, <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. I just loved the whole thing about it. They wanted us there at 10 in the morning and we'd be done by about four. It was a long day. You know, it was just wonderful. So 33 years on, Everybody's Free has prevailed all this time from being used in a Coca-Cola advert starring a young Jared Leto to a slowed down version famously used in Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet to Kylie recording a sort of twinkly Christmas valid ballad version a couple of years ago. The track seems to be revived or remixed in some form every few years or turns up somewhere unexpected like on an advert or at London's New Year's fireworks display this year. Yes. How do you feel about all the remixes and different versions of it? Because, I mean, it keeps the song alive, but they're not the original. Well, you said the magic word, it keeps the song alive. And whenever I hear Everybody's Free done in whatever manner, I just think, yes, <laughs> because it's that, Genevieve, that has kept the profile of that song out there. It's kept it alive. And, you know, without blowing my own horn, it is a great song. Blow it. It's, yeah, it's a, my song is a great song. Do you hear me? <laughs> but honestly, I believe, you know, like Kylie doing a, a version of it. And it was last year, um, the, the farmers who, uh, the, oh, the Cravendale advert. Cravendale, yeah. Cravendale. They, have you seen that advert for the mill? Yeah. I mean, I was killed with laughter. I could not stop laughing. And when they asked permission for myself, Tim and Nigel, 
who wrote the song because we we own it three way. And I heard the idea and I got in touch with the publishers and I said, let them do it. It's fun. And Tim and Nigel were like, we're not sure because it's funny and they're not singing it well. And I'm like, guys, that <laughs> is, farmers. yeah, they're farmers <laughs> and it's that that's going to pick. I, I think whatever happens with things like that is people then want to go and listen to the original. Yeah. That's what happens because this profile of the song is continuously raised through things like that. And then Tim and Nigel came back and they went, you know what? You're right. It is fun. It is fun. I said, you know, don't take things too seriously. Don't be too precious. Just enjoy it. And uh, I see now the advert is having a revival again recently on TV. So the other morning I just said, everybody's free to feel. <laughs> <laughs> things sound really badly. But I just, honestly, I just couldn't stop laughing. And I, I love it. Mm. I love it. And of course, the song has become a gay pride anthem now. And you've performed at a few pride events. Yeah. You must be so proud to have a legacy with this song that's filled with such positivity that's brought so many people together. Honestly, to say I'm proud uh, would be an understatement. I am so, so proud. In fact, I think it was actually the gay community that made the song happen uh, from day dot. I'll be eternally grateful to that. And I've had people come to me and have said, you know, a loved one passed away and we played your song at the funeral, which I thought, oh, okay. But they said they loved your song and they wanted it played at, at their funeral. And I think, wow. And then I've had gay people who have told me their stories that that song, Everybody's Free to Feel Good, helped them find the courage to come out and tell their families that they were gay and gave them the strength. I've had people, straight people who have said that song has helped them come out and, you know, maybe tell someone, I love you so much, I want to marry you or break out of an abusive relationship because everybody's free to feel good world over, no matter. And, and why not? On that note, it's uh, time to leave the nostalgia zone and enter what I like to call the latted zone, otherwise known as life after that thing I did. Hello, Genevieve here. Just wanted to quickly stop and say if you're a regular listener, thank you for hitting that play button again. And if this is your first time here, welcome. You have five whole seasons of nostalgia to catch up on. So if you haven't already, go and check out some of the episodes you may have missed. And please do follow and subscribe. It's totally free. And if you'd like to support the show, stick around at the end to find out how. Now, back to the latted zone. So uh, we will uh, we'll pick up in 1994 when you scored another three hits, including a cover of I Love Music, which was produced by the legendary Jellybean Benitez and used as a theme to Al Pacino's film Carlito's Way. Can you share the story of your encounter with him, please? Oh, Al Pacino, my gosh. I was working at uh, an Italian restaurant, a very posh Italian restaurant, before Everybody's Free became a hit and I was going to the studio in the daytime. And working at night. And then, of course, cut a long story short, Everybody's Free became a hit. I left working at uh, Villa de Cesare, it was called. And years later, I went to Villa de Cesare with some friends. Let's say it was a Sunday night, you know, and the Monday I was due to fly out to New York to perform I Love Music at uh, Carlitos Way film premiere. And we went into uh, Villa de Cesare. The owner was always ever so happy to see me. He was like, a father figure to me, because I remember when I left Villa de Cesare, he sat me down. He said, Rosala, if it doesn't work out there, just know there'll always be a home here for you. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you know, he was so sweet. So years later, went back to have a good night and have dinner, said hello to the owner. And who was there? Al Pacino and about 13 or 14 other people sitting on this table having dinner. And I thought, I got to go and say hi to him and tell him I'll be performing at the premiere on Wednesday. So I thought, you know, his security guards might tell me, leave, leave, or whatever. So anyway, I thought, just go up to him. And I went, hi, Mr. Pacino, my name is Rosala. I'll be performing at Carlitos Way Premier. And I gave all these details, which was inside information. So you're legit. So exactly. So he looked at me and he said, like, this girl is legit. She can't be lying because she got all this information. She knows where the film premiere is going to be. And I said, and I recorded it with Jellybean Benitez in New York. My name is Rosala. I'm signed to Sony. He went, oh, my gosh. Everybody, this is Rosanna. And he introduced me to everyone on the table. And I thought that was it. I said, thank you so much. He went, wait, 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 let's go and have a dance. So I said, you want to have a dance with Mr. Pacino? I said, yeah, don't call me up, Mr. Pacino, call me Al. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, okay. And 
we had a dance and he's, you know, he's not a very tall man. He's probably my height, but he was so strong. And this man was spinning me around the dance floor and I'm going, I'm going to fall any moment, you know, and we're doing this dance and we're spinning. And I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> and I was with my friends. And again, we had no freaking camera. <laughs> oh no, this is the story of your life. <laughs> the story of my life. There's a theme going on here, Jenny. There's a theme going on here. And anyway, he hugged me and he says, I look forward to seeing you at the premiere. I said, thank you so much. And so flew to New York on the Monday, uh, got in on Tuesday, Wednesday, I was at the premiere, performed with the band and all these stars, you know, on the cinema screen were all there. And I'm just going, this is just, whoa. And then afterwards, uh, the people from Sony took me to say hi to Al again. And I went, Mr. Pacino, remember me? He said, of course I do. We had a dance on Sunday night in London. How are you? <laughs> And he hugged me and there's all these paparazzi taking pictures, like flashes going off. Until today, I do not have a picture of him and myself. Again, manifest Again. it to the world. I know. <laughs> Sting, I know. Al Pacino, universe, make yeah. it happen. Yeah, exactly. I need that picture. I need my pictures. <laughs> oh, um. I always think it must be so hard being a music artist, especially in a genre like dance, because to be commercially successful, you're at the mercy of whatever style is currently popular. And yeah. in the late 80s, early 90s, club music was massive in the charts. But then around 94, Britpop came in, boy bands and girl bands started coming in mid to late 90s. Club music started to fall out of favour. And as a consequence, shortly after you got dropped by Sony and the gig started yeah. to dwindle. And I've spoken with other guests on the podcast about how they've dealt with getting dropped. But it must be so difficult because it's not like when people get made redundant, they just find another similar job. Yeah. You can't really do that when you're a singer or at least not at the same level. Yeah, it was difficult. It really was difficult. And, you know, I just released uh, an album on Sony called You Never Love the Same Way Twice, which I thought was brilliant. I would, I suppose you'd say, because I'm the artist. They thought it was brilliant. Um, a few of the labels across Europe thought it was fantastic. And then suddenly I got dropped. Career-wise, it was a difficult time for me. I felt so, I was sad, you know, and I was scared because I thought, what do I do now? I was lucky if I got to doing a club date in a period of two months. And that's coming from doing anywhere between five to seven club dates per week. Mm. Keeping in mind, that's how I earn my living. I just uh, bought my flat. I had a mortgage and I'm like, I'm so scared. And uh, I just cried for a few days and I'm going, what am I going to do? Do I go and look for a job? I trained as a receptionist secretary, but I did that years ago. I don't know what mm. to do. And uh, in that time, when I think about it, you know, I never believed it then. But at this point in my life now, I believe in manifesting or you're putting things out there in the world and it happens for you. You know, it says in the Bible, you reap what you sow. And as a man thinks in his heart, so it becomes. And I just look back and I think, well, at that time, I met my husband. It gave us the opportunity to get to know each other. I wasn't traveling as much. And um, one of the things he says to me was, you know, if you never had another hit single again, would that be the end of your world? What's really important to you? I said, well, my family and my friends and them being alive and healthy, that's, that's everything. So he said, so it's not so bad then because your family are all well, you well, and just take one day at a time. And I'm like, yeah, you know, that's true. And um, he says, and what else would you like to do that makes you feel good? I said, well, every time I go into a beauty salon and have a massage or a facial, I walk out of there feeling just incredible. So I thought I'll take up a, a course as a beauty therapist. Mm -hmm which I did. My husband helped me. He paid for that course. Uh, he was my boyfriend at the time. And he's like, just do that. Just don't let that stop you. So I thank him a great deal for that push. And uh, like I said, when I look back, it got us to get to know each other, to build this relationship. We've been married and we've been together now. Um, 27 years this year. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> You've done your homework. Girl. And yeah. <laughs> shout out to Alan. <laughs> yeah, I know. Shout out to Alan. And we will have been together in total for 30 years. And he's been an incredible force in my life and he continues to be. And I did uh, a course in beauty therapy and uh, I thought, let me look for a job because I had one or two gigs bobbing about here and there, but my soul was always to be a singer. That, that's me. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to be 
left standing, staring at a wall with nowhere to go. I'm, I'm not that person. Uh, so I got a few part-time jobs working as a beauty therapist. And, you know, I had one or two people going, are you not that singer who's like, everybody's free, giving me a massage. I'm going, I just, hmm. what I don't want, you know. But I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I had the view to training with people off the street and, and working on them as a beauty therapist with uh, the view to opening up my own salon. That was my plan. And then, of course, musically, the gigs started coming in. I'd been there with Alan some years. We'd been married some years. And they started coming in. And I will always credit one of my agents, uh, Kevin Moss. We've been together since day dot. He's like, don't give up. It's just up and down, up and down, you know. But when you're going through it, sometimes you can't see from beyond the tip of your nose. It's scary, especially when that's how you earn your living and you've got a mortgage to pay. Yeah. But then Alan came into my life and he helped me financially, emotionally. And uh, yeah, you look back and you think everything happens for a reason. You can't see it then, but everything happens for a reason. Being a beauty therapist is hard work. You're on your feet practically all day. Yeah. And you must have thumbs of steel now. Yeah. And I, it was hard work. And I thought if I were to do 10 massages a day, I'd have no fingers left. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is. But it's also so rewarding because I think being a beauty therapist in a way is like the name says therapist. Mm. It's a therapy. I loved it. Um, it it's hard work, but I, I love that. But Gigs started coming back again and I'm going, okay, let me just go with this and go with the flow. And yeah. So your split from Sony allowed you to reunite with Band of Gypsies and you released your fourth album coming home in 1998, which spawned the club hit Don't Go Lose It Baby in the States. Um, and then you had a little break, which you just mentioned in Beauty Therapy, yeah. um, released the Greatest Hits album in 2003. And then in 2009, you released Brand New Version, which was more of a jazzy, easy listening album. Very yeah. different from what people were used to from you. Although I love the track for Lovers. Such a good tune. Thank you. I, it should be put on like a film soundtrack or something just to like Thank get it. Thank you. Oh, you put it out there. Put it out there, Jennifer. I can so. see it in a rom-com or something at the point Ooh. in the film where they have an argument, they split up before they get back together at the end. Um, <laughs> how much did you weigh up taking um, a creative risk versus pleasing fans with what they expect from you? Honestly, for me, that was just uh, something I've always wanted to do. It was just deep within me that, this is what I wanted to do. If the fans accepted it, great. If they didn't, they didn't. <laughs> this is for me. Yeah, this is for me. And this was, I would say that was one of my dream albums because vocally uh, I felt I could do that style of music as well. And it's really, really what I wanted to do. So I'm grateful that I had the opportunity to do that. And then thanks to the popularity of the 90s revivals tours, you haven't really stopped since, like literally out almost every weekend performing. Yeah. And then seemingly out of nowhere in 2015, you have this huge top five Billboard club hit, if you say it again. That must be so validating as a heritage artist because you can be like, yeah, I still got it. Honestly, that was a real shocker. That song came about from a fan, a songwriter. He contacted me on Facebook saying, look, I'm a songwriter. I've written for these artists. I'm sorry, his name has just gone over my head. But um, he sent me the song. He's like, I'd really like you to do this song. I'm like, okay. And so he paid for my studio time. And then he got some producers to mix it. And then I got some friends who mix it. So my industry is a case of, because I've gotten to know so many people over the years, there are some that are there that are always willing to help me and vice versa. And then the song fell on the laps of Frank Sorello, who used to be my A&R guy in New York, Sony. And we hadn't been in touch for over 20 years, not through anything, but it's just the way our lives went. And he got in touch with me and he's like, Rosella, it's Frank. This song fell on my laps. Oh my gosh, you're sounding better than ever. I can try and do something to help you and get producers to do remixes. And I'm like, Frank, do whatever. And Frank sent it around to producers and DJs and they're like, yeah, everybody's free that singer. Yeah, we're going to do it. You know, so they came up with different mixes and uh, one of them was done by Love to Infinity. And that is a song that went to number five in the dance club charts in the States. I was not expecting that at all. It was just such a shocker. But the validation for that for me, if you wish, was just so amazing. Frank was in shock. We were all in shock because we just thought, let's just see how what happens. So I, I'm eternally grateful to all the mixers and producers who did different mixes with that song. And that sort of just raised things for me and started setting up another page in my story. 
During COVID, as we know, everything stopped performance-wise and uh, a lot of shows were cancelled. But during this time, you volunteered to help out with vaccinations where you live in Surrey, didn't you? Tell me more about that. Oh, I, honestly, it for all of us, I think just staying at home, being scared to walk not too far in case you were told you can't do that. Yeah, I mean, it was a scary time. And then they were having these vaccinations around our areas and they were asking for volunteers. And I thought, why not? Let me do it. And I volunteered. I actually wanted to inject people. <laughs> <laughs> why not? Why not? But uh, One I, day's I, training that you can, anyone yeah, can yeah, do yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One day's training. I'm ready for that. So I filled in like that. That's what I wanted to do. And they're like, that's great, but can you stand in and let people come through and stuff like that? I'm like, yeah, that's fine. So I did that. I think I did that for a couple of days. I just loved giving back something to what was going on in that period of time in all our lives. Yeah, it was great. And I guess because everyone was wearing face masks, no one would have known they were being helped by a dance legend. <laughs> no, exactly. Well, you know, I just kept the face mask on because we were all scared then as well, isn't it? You know, take off your face mask and you never know. <laughs> out now because you have new music out very exciting the new single a lot of love which we just heard a little snippet of there came out a couple of weeks ago and it's taken from your new album your first in 15 years turn on the light which is out this week and it's been a bit of a long road releasing this record hasn't it because originally it was planned for release a couple of years ago but then covid kind of scuppered everything you must be itching to get it out there now i am absolutely itching to get it out there you know when Gary said to me Gary Simmons is uh, the record label boss for Energize Records he said it's been four years in the making mm. due to no fault of our own with COVID but I'm so excited because during the COVID period we happened to release about three tracks from the album because we just wanted to keep going you know uh, one of the songs we released during uh, COVID was called Magnificent we weren't even able to do a video for that due to social distancing and stuff like that. So Ash Stanley put together a lyrical video for Magnificent, which is incredible. I loved it. But uh, I'm proud of this album, whatever happens when it's out there. And uh, like I said, Genevieve, the music industry has changed so much. Mm. Uh, we're just trying ways in how to promote it. It's just been brilliant. So, you know, I'm doing quite a few interviews and podcasts with yourself and uh, the album uh, is out there and whatever happens, I'm so proud of it. Uh, I mean, as you would expect, there are some dance and disco bangers on there, um, a Jason Evans remix, uh, but also a couple of covers too with a slightly different vibe, Baby Come Back and Someone That I Used To Love. Why did you choose those songs? And is Someone That I Used To Love your version of the Natalie Cole version or the Barbara Streisand version? Do you know, I was listening to Natalie Cole and I was listening to Barbara Streisand and Nat King Cole. And whenever I'm given a song to do, even if it's a cover, I try and respect how it's been done. But also, most importantly, I can never recreate being that singer or another singer. I am who I am. And I will always aim to bring my own personality and my own voice to, to that song. But there's, there's a moment uh, where I sing, and I think I, I have copied a bit of Barbara Streisand. Well, you might say. <laughs> so I thought, let me just do that, you know, so I put my own sort of thing on it. But I tried to make the song my own. Yeah, because, you know, when you try and copy artists, it's a big mistake. You can, you're not them, they're not you. And it's important to have your own personality stamped on whatever it is you're doing. It's fantastic knowing how the music industry is today, that you've got a label willing to invest money in you to make new music when some of your contemporaries, unfortunately, aren't in the same position. Yeah. Although you are one of Zimbabwe's biggest musical exports and received a Lifetime Achievement Award a couple of years ago, so I wouldn't expect any less. But, uh, <laughs> but I noticed that you're still very pragmatic. I've heard you say that in the music industry, when the sun shines, you've got to make hay. But as you've been in it for so long, how have you not become jaded by all? That's a good question. And I think it's because of my love and my passion for still going out there and performing. I think 
that's what does that for me. You know, my agent and I, Kevin, and I were talking and I was saying to Kevin, if I was to make so many millions, I'd retire. And he's, he almost had a nervous breakdown and he took out his uh, asthma thing and started like, no, you're not. You're going to sing till you're 80 years old. <laughs> and then he said to me, but um, you know, Rosella, seriously, the way I see it, I've known you for many years. You still have a burning fire and passion for doing what you're doing. And that's what keeps me going. And the belief system that I have around me, the support system I have around me is so strong. And now that we've got all the social media and I manage my own Instagram and Facebook and X, I get so many wonderful messages from fans. And that's what keeps me going. And the bottom line is, as long as I feel I want to keep doing this, you know, it ends with me, I suppose. I still want to still go out and, and sing. The fact that I'm still getting bookings to go and do festivals or gigs speaks volumes to me that I'm still wanted out there. So mm. it's a big boost of encouragement. The fact that Gary Simmons wanted to record an album with me and he's already talking about doing the next one, but we got a surprise with the next one. And I'm thinking, why not? Why not? You know, uh, I love doing it. I have my health, uh, thank God. And um, my husband is a big fan. And your number one fan. My number one fan. He's my number biggest cheerleader. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and now he's become your roadie. <laughs> and now he's my roadie. Exactly, exactly, exactly. It's it's incredible. So yeah, so I'm still out there doing my thing and and loving it, loving mm. it. You are a super busy bunny performing all over the world. I mean, sometimes playing up to fifty thousand people at festivals. I think I saw yeah. Ibiza, Brazil, Mexico, Denmark, and Thailand, just to name a few from last year. Um, and you've got upcoming summer festivals this year too, of course. Uh, and I have to say, you do look fabulous. You're on Thank stage you. rocking those sparkly cat suits, which I know I could never get away with because <laughs> I've got far too many lumps and bumps, and lycra in a one piece is not forgiving at all. But uh, but where do you get your outfits from because you can't just easily pick one up from Marks and Spencer's. <laughs> Good question. I wish you could. You I, can't. <laughs> I give my my absolute gratitude and thanks to uh, a singer called Vicky. She is uh, half of a group called Capella mm -hmm. and she was wearing these sparkly Also outfits. another 90s dancer. Also neither and she she is in she's just a beautiful person and uh, she was wearing this all-in-one sparkly outfit and keep in mind she looks like a model. She's stunning. And I'm going, oh, no, I could never rock that. She is like a different world, you know, supermodel. And I'm just like dress, whatever, my jeans and T-shirts, which I love. And um, I said, Vicky, I really love your outfit. She's like, Rosala, you could rock it. You have to wear these. You know, I, I ordered them from China. You know, I'm like, really? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, but I don't think I can. Because like, they're quite revealing. You know, it's all in one and it shows, like you say, everything. And she's like, look, I'm going to bring you one of my outfits and you're going to try it on. And we were in, uh, I believe, Budapest. Uh, for a gig about a year ago and I was with my husband so she brought this all in one and she's like knocked on the door my husband's like no 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 darling don't wear that that's not for you so anyway <laughs> he would have and I would have probably said yeah yeah okay he's, be, he's very honest he's, Alan. Yeah, he's, he's too honest sometimes it's too honest but anyway that's another story <laughs> <laughs> and it's like uh, so um, she came into our hotel room she's like try it on so I went into the bathroom and I put this all-in-one on thinking, oh, gosh, they're going to both laugh at me. I put it on. I looked in my room and oh, okay, let me go show them. And I went out and my husband's like, oh, my gosh, you're ordering it. Vicky, what's the website? <laughs> I'm like, so I had a shock. I was like, what are you doing? He's like, Vicky, what's the website? Honestly, this is the truth. He pulled up the website and he's like, which one's the one? And Vicky's like killing herself with laughter. She's like, this is the code for the jumpsuit. He tapped in the code. And he ordered it. My husband ordered the jumpsuit. I'm like, jeez. So basically, Genevieve, we've never looked back. 50 more jumpsuits along the way and here we are. <laughs> Don't take this the wrong way, but is there a lot of like invisible support no. inside these things? Is there like scaffolding no, no. to keep it? Or literally, do you just look that Honestly, good? No. And, and what I do, because some of them, can't even wear knickers underneath because it will show the panty line and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, but some okay, of them... Commando. Oh, exactly. And some of them are quite see-through. So what I've done, you get these um, all-in-ones that they cover you. It's like, it's like, I don't know, if you can imagine thick tights, but it's all-in-one. So I get really dark, chocolatey brown ones. Or like a, a body stocking. Body stocking, exactly. So I wear that under some of them that are see-through. 
And, uh, you know, I work out. I walk nearly every day and I do over 10,000 steps each day. Sometimes I'm really lazy and all I want to do is just watch Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> who doesn't? But, exactly, who doesn't? <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I have the confidence because I do personal training with my lovely Nisha, who uh, takes me through my paces twice a week. Yeah, because I want to wear those suits and I want to, apart from that, you know, walking and exercise is mentally stimulating for everything. I bet going to the toilet is a bitch though. It is. Let me <laughs> tell you. When, before I put on those jumpsuits, I better not be needing any, I make sure I've used the toilet. I'm even scared to drink a sip of water when I got that outfit. I'm telling you, because in fact, actually in South Africa, I did all that. And then suddenly my body goes, I want to pee. <laughs> and I'm going, no, you're going on stage now. No. So I'm like, oh my gosh. So luckily I had my aunt there with me. I'm like, you got to help me and zip me. So <laughs> I zip me and I went to the loo and putting on those one in pieces are just, it's, you know, a hassle because they tight fitting. They really tight fit. So I'm like, you have to lock me in them again, pull me up and like, oh my goodness me. <laughs> You have a big milestone birthday coming up in a couple of weeks. Ooh. I don't want to say how old you are. You can you can reveal it. Well, no, honestly, I read an article by um, Sharon Stone and she said something and I thought, yes, she said people who deny their ages as they're getting older are ungrateful to life. And I thought, absolutely, because... Growing older is a privilege that's denied to many. And I am turning 60 next month. Whoop, whoop. Honestly, <laughs> I am, I am proud. I'm happy. I have my health. Touch wood. God continue with that. And, and I'm just living my life to the best way I know how. Clearly, you know, all the secrets from your beauty therapy days because you do look amazing. Was there, there must be like secret cream, secret serum. Is there like an hour-long beauty regimen every day, morning and night? I tell you what I do. I've always, ever since when I started coming to the UK, I got into skincare so obsessively at the age of 21. I do believe that's helped. And one of the things I started learning when COVID happened was face yoga. Oh. I don't know if you've heard of face yoga. Yes, you kind of gurn and, and make funny faces. Exactly. If you, if you imagine the science behind, you know, going to the gym and training your body, you reap rewards and we forget our faces. And so I started training my face. In fact, I want to still train as a face yoga teacher for my own sake, not to teach anyone, but I want to do that. And I do face yoga relentlessly. That's one of the things I've seemed to have stuck with. I do face yoga every single day of my life, whether it's for a minute or 20 minutes. I do it every day. And I took pictures of my face, you know, because uh, I follow this luminous face yoga. Uh, they're on Instagram. They're amazing. And she's like, take a picture every two weeks or every three weeks or every month. And it's been quite a revelation to see. You can see the progress. Honestly, it's been quite a shock because I, I thought, now this is just gobbledygook nonsense, you know. It's been incredible. Um, I have had fillers. I've tried fillers in my face when some years ago. Uh, I loved what it did for me. I've never had Botox. I'm not against all those things to each their own. But uh, the lady who I went to for Phyllis some time ago, she's like, get out of my office. You're my worst client. You don't need <laughs> anything. <laughs> she's like, whatever you're doing, just do it. But, and I appreciate her because then she could say easily, yeah, you need this and that because it's, it's expensive. But um, those are the things I do to try and take care of my face. You know, I mean, I'm looking at you and you have hardly any wrinkles whatsoever. <laughs> like Face yoga, I tell you. And, you know, there's been times my husband's made me laugh. He's like, tell me the truth. Have you had Botox on your forehead without me knowing? <laughs> I'm, going, <laughs> I'm like, no, I honest to God, I've been honest about having had fillers, you know, and I love what the fillers have done. But even that has been a rarity because as Alison, who does the fillers and she does everything, She's like, your face yoga has really dramatically helped you having to have fillers maybe once every two years, you know, if that. But um, face yoga has just been a revolution in my life, really. So how do you plan on celebrating the big milestone birthday? Oh, well, I said to my husband, I don't want any party. I, I would be happy to go out on a big dinner with friends, uh, stuff like that. But what he decided 
is he's taking me to Barcelona Ooh. on a city break. Uh, we're going to go for three nights. And uh, he's told me he's booked me into some uh, four or five-star restaurant, whatever. We were going to have a 15-course tasting menu. I'm going, 15? Wait, what? <laughs> hey? Don't eat breakfast or lunch. <laughs> no breakfast, no lunch, no nothing. Like, because I'm not, my appetite as well as it is, is isn't very big. But he's like, he's planned everything. So I like Alan. Alan's a keeper. He's a keeper. (laughs) Rosala, it's been so lovely chatting with you. Lovely chatting to you too, Genevieve. Best of luck with the new album and have a very happy birthday. Thank you so much, my darling. It's been an absolute joy. Thank you so much. Uh, Big thanks to Rosala again for joining me for such a fun-filled chat. Rosala's new album, Turn On The Light, is out now. You can buy and stream digital versions in the usual places like iTunes and Spotify, and also pick it up on CD and even vinyl, direct from energizerecords.com. And do keep your eyes peeled for Rosala in the coming months at a 90s music fest near you. There are so many to list, but shout out to Biggest Disco in December, which has three dates in Glasgow, Birmingham and Wembley. So that's it for season six. I'd like to thank all my guests who've once again generously given me their time and shared their stories with me this series. And I hope you've enjoyed listening to them too. I know I always say it, but I really am grateful you hit that play button. I know there's lots of podcasts to choose from. So thank you so much for choosing this one. I only ever mention this at the end of a series, but I do make and fund this podcast all by myself. I don't have any sponsors or advertising or charge people to listen. It's a lot of work for a team of one that typically a whole paid team of about five or six people would do normally on a celebrity interview podcast. So if you've enjoyed just one episode of this series, it would really mean the world to me if you could please support the show to help keep it going. Just visit celebritycatchup.com support where you can show your appreciation. Big thanks to everyone who donated this series. I love you all. But I know times are tough, so even if you just share the podcast with one friend or on social media, it really does help spread the word. And please do hit that subscribe or follow button. It's totally free. Or leave a five-star rating or review on your podcast platform of choice because people are more likely to listen if someone else says it's worth it. And do follow me on the socials. Just search for Celebrity Catch Up and you'll find me. I'll be back with season seven in the summer with more brilliant guests talking about their lives after that thing they did. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>